here. So let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to take off. So, Father, uh, thank you so much for being with us, for loving us, for teaching us, Jesus. Thank you that uh, you inspired people um, like Matthew to write down the things that you taught, the things that you said that we might learn from them. So thank you that uh, we will leave here hopefully just a little bit transformed tonight, a little bit different with uh, not just more information in our heads, but with, uh, with maybe a little bit of a restored heart and a willingness to go and risk uh, loving others um, as you love us. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just pray that your presence would be here and you would encourage us tonight. We love you. Amen. So I'm going to go through the first part of this fairly quickly. I'm sorry for those of you who may not be familiar with some of the content, but it hopefully will be slow enough to pick up some of the content here. But we're in this series, Back to Galilee, where we are reconsidering everything that Jesus taught us in light of the resurrection. So you know that the most important thing, in my opinion, that we can do as Christians is learn to become like Jesus. Like, If there's anything that we are supposed to do, it is to learn to become like Jesus. If we just get that into our heads and then slowly learn what Jesus was like and slowly learn what Jesus taught, we can find so much life and so much peace and so much joy. So Jesus is teaching in this next section on on fasting. So uh, let me read the text for you. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So fasting... We talk about it in a lot of different ways, and people fast from all sorts of things, but biblically speaking, fasting is simply to abstain from eating food. Simple. It's to abstain from eating food. And I know a lot of people don't get to do that because of their dietary situations or whatever. Some people are simply not able to fast. And that can be hard in some sense. However, as we talk about on on Thursday night Bible studies, um, simply fasting isn't going to somehow allow you to simply be transformed in the moment and no longer struggle with something in your life. So there's a lot of different disciplines that we can enter into in our faith journey that help shape and mold us to, be who, to become who we are supposed to become, to become like Jesus. So <clears throat> fasting, simply abstaining from food. There, was, there are two reasons in Scripture that you hear about people fasting concerning. Two primary reasons. One is to simply humble yourself before God recognizing that He is the one that provides for you everything that you have, and you're going to humble yourself before Him. Come before Him thankful, thankful of everything that you've received, recognizing what you've received, and, and, and simply then just humbling yourself, saying, Lord God, You are my God. Maybe it is humbling yourself before God because there's a specific need that you have. People oftentimes would mourn and fast at the same time. Fasting would be a part of their grieving process. We've talked about this in the past. It's kind of a natural thing. When people are in a great amount of stress or frustration or discouragement, people stop eating. I told a story a while back about our cat, Samantha. 
we left town and she quit eating and got really sick, almost died. So it's kind of like fasting in that sense. It's kind of woven into our fabric of who we, who we are and how we exist. Well, then, it has to be about more than just oneself. Isaiah writes in fifth, chapter 58 of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he writes about how God wants us to fast. He doesn't like the way people will fast in some sense. Yeah, they might be in mourning or they might be being obedient to the call to fast. They might be, in a sense, acting, going through the motions of humbling themselves before God. But as Isaiah says, on your days of fasting, you hit each other with wicked fists. And God isn't interested in that kind of fasting. So the second reason he wants us to fast, as Isaiah points out, straightforwardly, is a matter of justice. It's a matter of providing for the needs of other people. It's one that oftentimes is missed in our church culture. In a culture where there's not enough food, and we have an awful lot of food around here, but in a culture where there's not enough food, me choosing not to eat would mean somebody else could eat. It's an important part of fasting, biblically speaking. And Jesus says, just straightforwardly, when you do it, don't be a hypocrite. Don't fast like you're doing it unto God when you're really doing it to be boastful. He says, Don't disfigure your face, as some people apparently were doing, some of the Pharisees. It's Jesus' catchphrase, the hypocrites. People that uh, put masks on and do things to be seen by people but aren't really concerned with the right motivation for doing them. Jesus says, don't be like them. Do it in hiding. Anoint your head with oil. Don't let anybody know you're fasting. You don't need anybody else to know. You're doing this to humble yourself before God and to provide for other people. So simply do it without the need for anybody else noticing. Wash your face. For those of you who may have fasted, yeah. For those of you who may have fasted, you well, it might be part of uh, the... Your question is why the washing of the face? Well, it could be partly because it's part of mourning, so people may have been putting ashes on their head along potentially with the oil if they were just following the oil part, and then their face is dirty. So, um, and the oil is that if you're fasting for an extended period of time, if you've done that before, your skin dries out, and, and you might get a little dry skin on your forehead, and you'd make sure that everybody knew it. Did you see, did you see my forehead, Corey? really dry. You know why? You know why? Yeah. I'm good like that. I'm a faster. Anyway, and Jesus said, don't, don't do that. My goodness sakes, people. Do you really, is that what your motivation is? Is for Corey to see you fast? Like, it's the silliest thing in the world. I mean, I love you, Corey, but like, you know. So, don't do it like that. Hide what you're doing. Anoint your head with oil, wash your face. Trust that your unseen Father who is in heaven or the heavens sees you. The motivation of a disciple of Christ's piety or acts of righteousness should never be self-promotion. It should be agape. It should be love. The motivation for somebody who wants everybody to see them doing whatever act of piety they're doing when they want to be seen by it isn't isn't agape. It's self-promotion. It can be a slippery, difficult slope that 
it's easy for people to slip down. But we need to pay attention to Jesus' words and learn to live out these types of things, these acts of piety in Jesus' way. I think one of the, we, one of, one of the ways we end up going down this road is that, uh, golly, it's just tough to trust in a, a father, a heavenly father that doesn't see, you don't see. Right? It's tough to like, am I being noticed? You know, we want to be appreciated for the stuff we do, right? It's nice to be appreciated. I already tried this out on our, was it Thursday night Bible study a little bit? So you guys will hear the same story that you heard on Thursday night here. But we want to be appreciated. I, w- I want to be appreciated. Not so much for my fasting, but for other forms of service. Or even some things that you just have to do in life, right? Well, let's see. Two weeks ago, I suppose. Well, so many of you know this about me. I'm bivocational. In addition to pastoring church here, I manage the family business, the RV park in Rochester, the Outback RV park. And a couple of weeks ago, somebody is. This happens maybe once every two weeks, or sorry, two months. Fortunately, not every two weeks. Um, somebody drove away with their hose still hooked up to the water hydrant, right? Yeah, so, and sometimes the hose loses and breaks. Other times the hose wins and breaks the water stanchion out of the ground. Well, in this situation, the hose won, the water stanchion lost. And I was having a busy day already anyway, and I get a call, I think, from John, right? And he's like, oh, somebody drove away and busted off the water pipe, and so you, I need you to come fix it, right? Or we need to fix it or whatever. And I'm like, okay, we'll try and get the water shut off, and I'll be there. Fortunately, I wasn't too far away. I'll come down and dig it up. So I'm down there, and I'm, I'm digging it up. And generally speaking, I, I, I don't have a bad attitude about having to do that because, for one, it's like my responsibility. When that kind of thing happens, I need to go do that. Like I get paid to do those kinds of things. But at the same time, like, nah, it's not overly pleasant, right? It's not like, because they're deep. Those things are like three feet plus deep, and it's all rock. And have you been to rock? Have you dug in Rockchester before? It's not pleasant. It's just not, you know, and this is compacted. Anyway, so, so I, get, I get there, and John's got the water off, and we start digging and digging and digging and digging and trying to get this thing dug up. And I'm trying to maintain a good attitude about it. And, you know, I'm happy to be in a country and in a place where we can have fresh, clean, running water and having to dig up a water pipe occasionally in order to provide that clean, fresh, running water to people shouldn't bother me. And so, again, generally speaking, it's just like it's okay. It's not pleasant. I'm not going to pretend that I, like, want it to happen all the time, but it's all right. So then I get a phone call from my sister, Holly, my sister in Christ, and uh, I'm on my way home, and I had just, on my, on my way back into town, I had just finished this dig and repair and everything else, and, and, uh, and I was in a fine, I had a fine attitude about it, that wasn't a big deal, and, but Holly asked me, how's your day been? And I'm like, oh, it was horrible, oh, jeez, I couldn't believe it, somebody busted a water pipe, and... And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why is that coming out? Why is that coming out? Because that's not the way I felt about it. 
But I'm just like grumbling and complaining. I'm like, oh, God, I couldn't believe that stupid people, they don't know how to unhook their hoses and they drive away and they rip them out. And then I got to spend all this time. I'm all, it was all dirty. I had to go home and take a shower and I just, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like catching myself in the moment. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Why is such a negative attitude about this? Because that wasn't, again, it wasn't really the way I felt. And I realized that I just was hoping to be appreciated. And I thought maybe if I said, oh, my day has been great. Somebody ripped the water's pipe out of the ground and I got to dig it up all day. It was awesome. But if my attitude would have been like that, she would have been like, oh, okay, fine. I'm glad you had so much fun. And, <laughs> and didn't really appreciate what I was doing. So it's hot. That's right. It's all hot. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking, asking me how my day was. How rude. <laughs> but I realized in that that, you know, there's times when, particularly maybe in a really busy, hurried culture, we want to be appreciated for things. And maybe we think the only way we can be appreciated is to grumble and complain about the things that we have to do in order for somebody to take notice. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> Just fix it. <laughs> Again, too. I mean, like coming back to it, like I, I really the problem. What the problem was? Just the hope and the like. This idea that's been planted into me as a human being, as a sinful human being, that I I don't have a heavenly Father that notices, and that's not good enough. I need to make sure that I have a little bit of dirt on my forehead after I'm done digging up a water pipe so somebody asks me what I've been doing to get so dirty so that I can then tell them, oh, well, oh, right? And I, I, I can't help but think that there's something like that going on in the Pharisees. They, they aren't trusting that their father is seeing, so they want to make sure that people are seeing because they want to be appreciated. Because as, as Jim said last week, the Pharisees actually, as in their origins, were a great bunch of people trying to keep Judaism alive. And slowly things went sideways. Right? And we live like that all the time. We sometimes have really good intentions. And slowly things in our lives go sideways. Right? Yeah. Right, 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 absolutely. So it makes me think, in my applying it to my, this, all this whole thing and walking through this, I was really excited when I was talking to Holly on the phone. I was like, I've been trying to figure this out in myself for a really long time of why I grumble when I'm really not that sad about whatever it was that I just had to do. And, and so it, it really just makes me think about, stop and, and take notice and and pay attention to that I do have a Heavenly Father who I don't see like I would like to with my eyes the way I'd, I'd love to hear Him with my ears, but I, but I don't. But I can trust that He sees. That He sees me digging a hole. Getting people's water going back on. Yeah, and He's like, good job, son. 
thanks for digging that hole. That was really great. You did a great job digging that hole. I ain't never seen anybody dig a hole like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're funny. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. I did it just for you to thank me. <laughs> Do you guys connect with that? Does that make sense? Do you experience that? No, not at all. Never. So, anyway, learning to trust that our unseen Father in the heaven sees us and is happy with us when we do what we, what's right. That's right. I am. <laughs> oh, you've noticed. Praise God. <laughs> I'm all embarrassed now. <laughs> all right, I'm not going to go back to that one. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father sees. Slight, awkward segue. Each of the three teachings that we just covered concerning acts of piety or acts of righteousness include an idea that I haven't talked about on any of them to this point. Each of the three almsgiving or mercy giving and the call to not do it with trumpets, to do it because you just love people and see need that they have, the call to pray, not to be heard on the street corners, but to concern yourself with the kingdom of God coming into our midst. And in this case, then, that we're talking about today, the call to fast without concern of people seeing you. In each one of those examples of acts of piety, Jesus says that your unseen Father who is in the heavens, who sees you, will reward you. Will reward you. You know, people have a proclivity to collect things. Do we have any collectors in the room? I know there are some. I've seen some of your collections. When I was a kid, I used to collect many things. Rocks. Railroad spikes, which I hear is illegal now. Some <laughs> of that. Saw one laying in the field the other day, and I was like, hey, that's, I better not touch that. <laughs> anyway, so rocks and railroad spikes. I used to collect concussions as well. <laughs> Trips to the hospital. Got a lot of little armbands. <laughs> Scars. Started collecting those when I was like five. Big ones, really good ones. <laughs> but one of my favorite things to collect when I was a kid was reflective road markers. <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I had quite a collection of them. And I probably started doing that when I was, I don't know, 8, 10, somewhere in that range. I don't remember for sure. But I can remember lying in bed and dreaming of finding a reflective road marker tucked down in the grass. Just a complete one without blemish, right? The perfect spotless road reflector. And I would walk to and from school when I was in the middle school, which seems crazy to be now, but there was less traffic then. 
Nearly every day I would walk the ditch line, scouring those ditches in hopes of finding as complete a specimen as possible. And I can remember staring also out the side window of our brown, I think it was 1972 Ford LTD station wagon, the one where in the back you had the pop-up seats that sat sideways. Oh, yeah. That was an awesome car. So I'd sit in the Ford LTD station wagon or a green F-250 pickup. I don't remember what year that was. But we pulled a tree down with it, a huge tree. Anyway, that's a different story for a different day. Just hoping to maybe catch the glimpse of a road reflector. And on one occasion, many actually probably many occasions, usually when my dad was driving, I would see one. And he would be kind enough to find a safe place to pull off the side of the road, and he'd go and get me. I know, right? Great dad. Great dad. So I, I had quite a collection. I was like, in my world, the coolest collector of road markers that I knew of. It was just like awesome. So, but one day, my cousin came over, and I decided to show him my really cool collection of reflective road markers. Yeah. And he thought my collection was pretty awesome, and I felt pretty, you know, that puffed-up feeling you get in your chest when others think you're cool? You know? I was like, yeah, I got these road markers. This is awesome. And uh, that feeling proved to be very short-lived. I was deflated not long after. You see, my cousin's dad, my uncle, he worked for a road paving company. (laughs) And soon my cousin had amassed this collection of road markers that made mine look pathetic. Even coming up with, and I'll never forget this, the holy grail of reflector road markers, the blue hydrant marker. Uh, Oh, yeah. And there's clubs still to this day that collect these things. I was, again, clearly, I was just distraught when I saw his clearly superior collection of road markers, and I was deflated as I realized there was no possible way of competing with that kind of, like, insider trading. (laughs) I mean, he had road markers that hadn't even been used, right? I remember telling my dad about that, and he's like, well, son, that's not a big deal. You can get those anywhere, but you can't get the ones that are found alongside the road. But somehow, at the time, it didn't really comfort me very much. I was still highly disappointed that my cousin had this blue, really cool road marker that had never been on asphalt. So suddenly, my earthly treasures were of little value in comparison to my cousins, and my value took a hit. I know. (laughs) Well, it's that kind of thing that we do with earthly treasures often. Well, we, we treasure them. We collect them and assign worth to ourselves and to others based on who has them and how much they have. Maybe not road markers. Maybe how many Pokemons you have, or the clothes that you wear, or rifles. <laughs> I'm a little scared now. <laughs> or, or cars, or houses, or jewelry, or shoes. <laughs> Or, 
or money? Money? Any collectors of money around here? Hmm. So, but Jesus challenges this notion of where a person's worth lies. Really, he says in so many words, wrapping up your worth in these earthly treasures doesn't bring happiness. doesn't bring flourishing. It doesn't bring peace or joy into your life. It just brings sadness and despair. And I'm not trying to say we shouldn't collect stuff. Collecting stuff can be fun. We just got to make sure that we're not tying our worth up in it. I mean, think about it for a minute. Put your worth tied up in clothes. And moths can destroy them. Or they can simply go out of fashion. Houses can be eaten by insects or by fire or by hurricanes. Computers are destroyed by a single virus. Nobody's had that happen, have they? No, no idea what you're talking about. Cars can be deteriorated by children with peanut butter. <laughs> like a friend Corey on Facebook, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Or cars can be destroyed by rust or by accidents. Stored up food spoils. Money is eaten in bear markets. Is that by bears? In cars? I don't Jesus says, do you really want to mix up your worth with things that are so vulnerable to the vicissitudes of life? Do you really want to link your worth to the clothes that you wear? that are so prone to wear out that they are inspired, they have inspired a cliche for things that don't last. The psalmist writes, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Do we really want to link our worth somehow to something that becomes a cliche for stuff that doesn't last? Do you really want to tie up your value with the value of something that go, can go from $60,000 to $0 in fewer seconds than it had been able to go from 0 to 60? Do you really think that you who are of unparalleled worth can be made more valuable by strapping the latest gadget onto your wrist? Can a quote-unquote smartwatch that has been mass-produced in a third-world factory make a human being of any greater value? Would it be wise to place your identity and your value in something that can so easily slip off your wrist or have its face scratched and cannot heal itself. And because of the scratch, loses the bulk of its value. You really think it wise to assign value to yourself or others based on the vehicle they drove here or the shoes that they walked here in? Do you think your Heavenly Father values you like that? Do you think your Heavenly Father values others like that? The answer is kind of obvious. No. <laughs> Clearly not. 
You didn't have shoes on when you were made. You didn't pop out of that little womb with a little pair of nice little red high heels. <laughs> Sorry, thanks. Love you. Or reflectors. Good, good call. Good call. I think I heard of that happening. <laughs> Clearly, our worth, our value isn't increased by anything we adorn ourselves with, anything that we can collect, anything that we amass. None of it changes our value. So why do we act like it does? Why do we live like it does? Why do we view other people like it does? Why do we have those feelings that all of a sudden our reflector connect collection isn't all that great because somebody else has a better one? And that my value as a 10-year-old takes a hit. Jesus says to avoid that kind of insecurity at all cost. Learn to treasure heavenly things. Desire heavenly treasure. Tie up your worth in the heavens where your Father pronounces you as fearfully and wonderfully made, who calls you of greater worth than many sparrows. Which doesn't sound that great, honestly. Like, But no, think about it for a second. Of more worth than many sparrows. I'm sure I'm glad that he said of more worth than many Apple Watches. Because people can make Apple Watches. I haven't seen anybody make a sparrow. Our Father, who sends His one and only Son to show you that you are to die for. And He calls us as people following Him to treasure the things that He treasures which is us, as image bearers. We are to treasure one another. When we put our heart in earthly things, not only are we on volatile ground, we also come to unfortunately view heaven's greatest treasure with rivalry, sometimes leading to jealousy, contempt, and covetedness, and murder in the most extreme of situations. Whereas Jesus puts it here, our eyes become evil. Anybody got an evil eye? In a really nice sense, my mom does. I used to get it all the time. Oh, man, I'm sorry, Mama. I think I saw that once. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. This is what comes next. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I wish I was going to take more time to explain this, but I'm just going to explain it really briefly. The word healthy, and the word unhealthy. In the Old Testament, as well as in Jesus' culture, also means generous and stingy. If your eyes are stingy 
your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. In a world where our possessions are our identity, the more we have of them, the more worth we have. So we're not generous. Because to give away our possessions is for our identity to take a hit. It's to lose worth. And simply to face the loss of who we think we are. But think about it for a minute. In light of everything that we've already talked about, hoarding possessions can never make a person of greater worth. You're worth more than any possession that you could ever have. There is no way that any possession you have could make you worth anything more than you are already unfathomably of worth, worth of. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if, <laughs> you don't fathom it. You can't. You cannot possibly make yourself of greater worth by adding something on of lesser worth, because your worth is tremendously greater than you could ever even imagine, than any of us could honestly ever imagine. There's no equal. There's not even anything close to it. But think about this for a minute. Well, while hoarding our possessions can never make us of greater worth, giving our possessions to another can help them realize they are of greater worth than any earthly possessions. Have you ever had somebody give you something that you know they thought a lot of? Keepsake, road reflector. (laughs) When people give us things, we realize that they treasure us more than they treasure the thing that they gave us. And we realize that we're of greater worth to them than the thing that they gave us. So while it can't make anything we possess, can't make us of greater worth, giving stuff away can certainly help other people discover they are of greater worth than that thing given to them. What is selfishly hoarded This is an old Christian saying of which origins we don't know for sure. But what is selfishly hoarded is lost. But that which is generously given brings treasures in heaven. It's because of the truth of the point before it. It actually does something. And it's not lost when you give it away. It's fulfilled a purpose greater than itself. You know, loving God and loving people, Jesus says, are closely related. And you cannot love God and money because for one, you cannot love your neighbor if you are too stingy for the love of money to suffer the willingness to give stuff to your neighbor. If you love money more than you love God, or you love money, period, you're not going to give it away. To love God and to love people are closely related. So if you're stingily hoarding your money for the love of it, you can't love your neighbor. You can't love God. Tangible expressions of love 
were the way of the early church. And I don't want to romanticize the early church because the bulk of what we have, as far as the New Testament goes, was because there were problems <laughs> in the early church. Right? Almost everything is written because there was an issue at hand. Paul's addressing something crazy going on with everybody getting drunk on the communion wine before people got there to share any. You know, I mean, crazy stuff like that, right? Like, I won't name some of the other stuff, but anyway. But there was the clear vision that the resources of this world were to be used to care for the poor, the sick, the distressed, the helpless, the powerless, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the marginalized, who were loved less than some people's stuff. In the 250s, the church in Rome faced what is known as the Acacian persecution. There was an edict put out by the, Rome, the Roman emperor, Decatian, forcing people to, with exception to the Jews, worship the gods, the Roman gods. And they were to sacrifice for the well-being of the emperor. It was really just a way to control people, make them do what you wanted to. And a Roman prefect came into Rome and demanded that the deacon there both worship the gods, offered sacrifices on behalf of the well-being for the emperor, and also he demanded that he be shown their treasures at once. Show me the treasures of your church. We want to see what goods you guys have because we're probably going to take them if they're good enough. He pointed outside where there was a widow in orphans who were being fed, the sick who were being nursed, the, poor's, the poor whose needs were being met. And he said, these are the treasures of the church. treasures that Jesus calls us to store up in heaven aren't Lamborghinis or Lexuses. I think that's Lexi, right? Our homes or swimming pools or jewelry or rocks or concussions or road reflectors. It's people. It's people. God wants us to orient ourselves in this world in such a way as to love people into the kingdom of God. To see everything that we have as a means to usher the kingdom of God into our midst and to see people walking into it. So storing up our treasures in heaven takes a heart change. It takes an eye change. Takes an orientation change to everything we see around us. Instead of being consumed by trying to get the latest watch or smartphone or consumer good or shoes or whatever it might be, if we can spend our time focusing on providing 
for the hopeless, the needs of the hopeless in our world. And I'm not just talking about financial stuff. Sitting down and spending time with people, talking to people, listening to people, sharing life together with people, making sure that people know that they are worthy of being listened to. That's powerful stuff. That your concerns matter. It's powerful stuff. The heart is the center of your being. Well, not literally, right? <laughs> Figuratively speaking, the heart is the center of our being, out of which everything else flows. And what you treasure, what you value, that's where your heart is. What you think on, what you spend your time thinking about, what you spend your money on, what you lie in bed and think about. That's where your heart is. What do you lay in bed and think about? How to get the next million? <laughs> or how to maybe make sure people know that they're loved? And it has to start many times just right with their own family. I lay in bed at night myself sometimes, and I don't, none of us do this perfectly. I certainly am not here to say I do it perfectly, but when I do it right, I'm praying for you. Or I'm thinking about my children wanting to make sure that they feel loved, wanting to make sure that they think that there is nothing more important other than Jesus himself to me than them. It's not, it's not an easy transformation, right? We have to practice it. We have to work at it. We can get better at it. I think... I think this is how it goes. We need to change what we treasure and start to treasure the things that the kingdom of God treasures, which is people. And in order to change what you treasure, your heart must be changed. But in order for your heart to be changed, you also must change what you treasure. Right? It's like both both ways. Like we actively participate in the heart change. God can do it. We surrender ourselves to Him. And then we painstakingly have to work at it sometimes to learn to treasure what the kingdom treasures, to learn to treasure what God treasures. So it's not always easy, right? We have to sometimes sit in bed and try not to think about the treasures that we have of earthly value and intentionally think about the things that God values and treasures. We have to come at it from both directions. God changed my heart. And he'll say, okay, go love people. And then as we go and love people, ah, he changes our heart. Right? We must allow God to transform our hearts. So, Ask yourself a couple of questions. You can close your eyes and just think about this for a minute if you want. What's going on in my heart? What am I treasuring? What do I spend my time thinking about? What do I 
spend my resources on. If there's something that's come into your mind, consider asking yourself, why do I treasure this? What do I think it will bring me? Why do I think it will bring me that? What am I losing by treasuring that thing? Have I tried this path of treasuring before? Has it been successful? Is treasuring this helpful in loving God and loving my neighbor as myself? Is this something that I should be treasuring? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you and ask that you would help us as your people to learn to store up our treasures in heaven. To not get caught up on the pursuit of things that we know won't bring us peace, that we know won't bring us joy, and above all else, that we would seek to love you with our whole heart and love our neighbor as ourselves, knowing that the greatest possession in the heavens is the people that you have made in your image. Father, I just pray for those here who have maybe had their, their worth tied up in stuff and that they would, they would hear your voice speaking to them, reminding them that they are of much more worth than anything that they could possess and having more stuff isn't going to make them of more value to you. Father, I pray that we as your body on earth would, would learn to imitate you well, Jesus. As I pour through the scriptures, I don't find any place, Jesus, where you have valued anything above people. And because of that, we fall in love with you. We feel loved by you. Help us to be tangible expressions of that love. Help us to surrender ourselves every day, Lord Jesus, with concern primarily for the kingdom of God and for its righteousness. Father, I pray for those that are overwhelmed by worry, that are trying to just pull the pieces together and hope that it works out. I pray, Father, that you would be there for them, that you would prove yourself faithful for the sake of your name, prove yourself faithful to your people. Let your 
kingdom come right into their lives. Father, restore hope. Give people peace. Give people joy. Thank you so much that you treasure us so much. That you, Jesus, would come and lay down your life, that we would know of your love. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. Forgive us when we get this so miserably upside down. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are faithful. You're faithful to us. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.